Charlie. Hey, Farzad. How's it going? How's it going, man? Can you hear me okay? <laughs> yeah, just fine. How are you? Awesome. Hey. I'm doing great, man. Good to talk to you. Good to see you again. <sighs> yeah, How you great been? to see you too. Yeah. Good, good. And yourself? Good. Awesome. Great. I'm excited, man. I already started recording if you're good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Just, I figured we'd just get into it. Just very conversational, you know, kind of like uh, just smooth sailing. Yeah. Just, just yeah. for the, the, the folks that, um, and they're just listening into this conversation, obviously they'll be listening, but, um, Charlie or Charles, which one do you prefer? Cause I saw your invitation back was Charlie. Is Charlie one you, you prefer better? Char- Charlie is good. Yeah. Yeah. Charlie's good. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. So Charlie and I spoke, um, I guess I, it's been a week now since, since we last spoke. And, uh, I had a tweet out there where Charlie replied and, and he mentioned that he was a, a former Tesla employee and he worked at the factory between 2018 and 2020. And then, you know, he asked if we want to sort of sit down and, and chat. I'm like, hell yeah, let's, let's sit down and, and, and talk. And then we started talking and I'm like, man, I'm really vibing with this guy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm like really yeah. enjoying the conversation. So I'm like super excited to sit down and get uh, more into it, but I just wanted to give a little bit of color for, uh, for, for the folks that are going to be listening to this. And obviously if you want to uh, take a few minutes to just, you know, sort of introduce yourself, kind of give people up to speed, uh, sort of what your background is, uh, where you live at today. And, and then we can just, uh, take the conversation from there. If, if that works. Yeah. For you. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it sounds really good, but you know, hearing some, uh, just, just even swapping just some like high, uh, very short stories. Um, it's like only a Tesla. It's like only someone from Tesla would <laughs> say something like that. And it's like, wow. Yeah. It's, it's really good to connect. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, um, I can give a quick introduction of myself. Yeah. Um, uh, my sure. name is Charlie. You, yeah. Um, I worked as a software engineer at Tesla in the factory, um, from May, 2015, uh, 2018 to, um, uh, May of 2020. And, uh, since then I've gone on to start returns, which is, um, uh, a online marketplace to help, um, retail investors find, uh, price targets and manage their portfolios. Awesome. And then yeah. well, you're located in, uh, in China today, correct? Yeah. Right now I'm in Beijing in China. Yeah. Where awesome. I've been for, um, yeah. Last couple okay. of months. Mm. Great, great. Yeah, I know. Remember when you and I were talking earlier? Um, one of the things that that we sort of started talking about was you were very close to uh, the sort of the production uh, part of, of Fremont. You know, you, you had a you had a lot of uh, responsibilities around that area. And of course, so like today today's podcast is going to be we're going to try our best yeah. not to break either of our NDAs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so <that's> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually went back and read our ND, the the NDA that came with my employment. Um, yeah. the strange thing is I couldn't find a time bound on it, but yeah. anyway, yeah, 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 we'll, we'll try our best. Yeah. 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 We'll try our best. And yeah. that's where I think, you know, what, what's very interesting about the NDA too, because like, like Elon, I don't know if you saw this comment about him and like FSD beta, like people, mm-hmm. like he was talking about how there was an NDA attached to FSD beta. And then people were asking, you know, but people are like posting all these like videos online of them being like doing t- test driving FSD beta and everything like that, even though the NDA, uh, I, th- I think specifically says that you can't do that, but people are doing it anyway. And people are asking Elon, like, 
why do you have an NDA for this? And Elon's like, yeah, we probably shouldn't have one. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's yeah. always so interesting. But, but of course, with the work stuff, like there are certain things we're not going to cover, obviously, like, you know, specific figures or anything super, super detailed. But what I, what I really wanted to, uh, the reason why I really wanted to talk to you so badly is because there, there's two things that, that I find very fascinating in your time at Tesla. And obviously, I want, I want to learn more about you as a person as well. That's one of the things I really try to do as well. Just get to know another human being, you know? But yeah. We can start off by sort of talking about, so May 2018, uh, if I remember correctly, the month, but uh, in 2018, you joined the company. And, and for all of us that are familiar with Tesla, 2018 was a, really a crucial year for Tesla because that's when the Model 3 ramp was like a full, like full on ramp. There were That year, that period was incredibly important to ensure that the future of Tesla was going to be good. And, uh, mm. and the model three was obviously an integral part of that because you have all this machinery and all these uh, sunk costs into the company to ensure that the factory can pump out a certain number of cars uh, per year to ensure that there's profitability for the company. And Tesla had never done that before. And you're somebody who has seen it from, from the factory floor, it sounds like. So what I would love for you to kind of start sort of mm. painting the picture is like, like what was... What was the overall vibe at the time? Like, what are the things that stand out for you during that time period? And maybe as much as you can sort of give a little bit of insight into what sort of things you were responsible for. And obviously, you know, being careful about, you know, things you don't want to uh, sort of uh, pass on to the public. But yeah, let's 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 go from there and see, see where yeah, it goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was just uh, such a huge change. Um, before Tesla, I was at Amazon. I interviewed for Tesla in March of that year, got the offer in April, started in May. And uh, yeah, I remember uh, sitting in the office and, you know, like we we're just talking about the news. Like it's, it's very casual. Uh, Amazon, my team, we were super chill. So we we're just talking about different stuff. So, uh, a development manager and a developer, uh, another engineer, um, they had both ordered Tesla Model 3s and they were like, where's my Tesla? <laughs> <laughs> where's my Tesla? It's like, and then it, it was like just delay after delay after delay. And so, yeah, uh, 2018. I think um, that year didn't start super well for the company because there were just uh, lots of delays that were being issued for the long-awaited Model 3. There was so much hype for it when it was first announced. Um, I can't remember when, but they should have started delivering in 2017 towards the end, but 2018 and still a lot of people are waiting for their orders. Um, yeah, so uh, basically I went from a super chill environment at Amazon to a really stressful one at Tesla. Um, but the environment of Tesla um, on the factory, I wouldn't say that it was um, everyone. Uh, everyone was really upbeat about it. Uh, everyone was really uh, positive um, in the problem solving spirit, in the collegial spirit. And, you know, people are laughing under stress, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Like that's something that you don't see in, um, in a lot of places. And uh, people are really living, uh, sort of leaning in living into that kind of, um, uh, into the challenge. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was a really great place to be. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that that's a really interesting thing you say, because I can connect with that hardcore. So like mm -hmm. I was at the company between 2017 and, and 2021. And I remember anytime we had like any crazy hardships or things were like going crazy internally, we're all like feeling like, so much stress, but like externally, it's almost like by accident. We're just like laughing about it. Cause like, how can, like how much crazier can this get? <laughs> yeah. It's like yeah. the weirdest thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, uh, you know, a hero of mine, David Goggins. He just does all oh, these like crazy, yeah, these crazy physical challenges. And he's crazy. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's like that, but in a professional context. It's like, wow, this is the challenge that we have to solve. Uh, yeah. We might fail, but like, okay, if we can do it, holy macaroni, it's going to be really cool. Well, we'll it's, it's, it's sort of like a chance to prove yourself. Yeah. Absolutely. Do you think... So that, that is that mentality something that like people have in common before they join Tesla? Or do you think Tesla is the reason why people have that mentality? Because I've been thinking about that a lot. Like, like is, mm. is Tesla like the instiller of those, like of that mentality? Or do they hire a specific type of person? What do you think? Have you have you thought about that at all? Mm. I don't, I can't really say for the overall hiring process. I'm not super familiar with um, that side of the company. But um, from my own experience, you know, I was always that kind of person. Um, even when I was at Amazon, I remember when I interned um, way back in 2016, uh, some of the feedback I got at the end of my summer internship was chill out a little bit, you know, like we okay. you don't need to work that hard, <laughs> you know, like chill out a little <laughs> bit. And so, um, yeah, I always wanted to do more. And uh, yeah, so in my role at Amazon, it was super chill. It was really great. Um, it was, it's a really nice, uh, life to live as a software engineer, um, in Seattle headquarters, but I always felt like I could do something more. And so coming to Tesla, um, yeah, I was looking for that, um, opportunity. I was looking for that environment of challenge and I definitely found that. Yeah. I, felt what I was looking what, for. That's, that's great to hear. Were you surprised by how much, um, how much, how much they trusted you to work on like seemingly like humongous things. Cause that's one thing that really stood out to me when I was working, like, like, like you're yeah. trusting me with what, like, are you sure? Yeah. Are you yeah. sure? Yeah. Can you yeah. talk about that a lot? Cause, cause it's like, for me, it was like mind blowing. I'm like, I yeah. like you're giving me, like, I'm responsible for a thing of like a team of 20 people are supposed to be working on this. And I, you want me to do, I'll, I'll try it. It's not going to work, yeah. but I'll give it my best yeah. shot. I would love to hear your side of that story. Cause I feel like that's common. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm I, as as you're sharing part of yours. Um, I'm super curious to hear the rest of your story um, as well. But yeah, I can share share mine first. Um, yeah, I remember showing up at the factory and um, yeah, you know, uh, first couple of weeks just getting ramped up on the code. And I'm like, I remember reading the code base. I was like, uh, and I was talking to my mentor at the time, um, uh, senior engineer, and I was like, wait, we own all this code. All this code is just us. And, um, you know, that day, I think I, I just did like a quick head check. Like um, at Amazon, I would say that probably you would have three times the number of engineers managing the same amount of code. Um, and, uh, yeah, like, no, it was it was just us. And, um, yeah, like, that's that's how things are done. But so so that's, that's uh, from my side. I'm really curious to hear more about yeah, yeah. What, what it was yeah, for like me, you? for me, there were like multiple ones. Like the the one, the first, the first day, like literally the first five minutes of me joining mm. the company were mind blowing to me because I literally walked in, and mm. um, you know, I had already interview with the the you know my boss, the person that hired me, and mm. his name's Greg. I'm like super close to him now. He's like one of my best friends. Like that whole journey of Tesla was like transformational for like like. I'm like, wow, I'm like super close to you. Like I never knew a, a sort of a workplace can, cause it's kind of like you're going to war for, to war, but that's a separate story. Um, mm -hmm. Like we, um, 
I joined the company and then, you know, he kind of gives you a quick tour of the building. It takes about five, you know, 10 minutes. And then uh, he's like, okay, go back to your desk, you know, kind of get yourself situated and whatever. And I remember uh, sitting down at my desk in the middle of the warehouse, which was a very different style of like uh, work environment versus me having worked at um, my previous companies. Right. So I said, like, okay, I'm already in the middle of the warehouse. And then like two minutes later, he comes in, I'm, I barely opened my laptop and mind you, I didn't have a Tesla laptop at that time. I had my, like my laptop that I brought from home. Cause I hadn't gotten my laptop yet. So I'm like trying to work on something. And then he's like, okay, can you follow me real quick? I'm like, sure. And then he goes out to uh, the outbound floor. He, he's like, okay, so look at this outbound floor. So we have a bottleneck on the floor where the product's not flowing very smoothly. Uh, and we're not, we're not really sure if it's a logistics problem with the trucking and the staging. We're not really sure if it's a process driven thing on the outbound floor. And we're not really sure if it's something with the picking or like the inventory control aspect for people, you know, like there's a lot of struggles going on. Can you figure out how to fix this in two and like a couple hours? I'm like, are you freaking mm. kidding me? You, you expect mm. me to like hit four different departments at once in two hours and figure out how to fix this thing. But guess what? Like that sort of yeah. mentality really helped me sort of get my head wrapped around the fact that Tesla doesn't really, Tesla, Tesla doesn't really care about how hard a problem is. Like mm. that's the, sort of the mindset I got out of it. it mm. They don't really care what, how hard the problem is or how much work there is to do something or how many mm. people are supposed to be working on it. Mm. If it's some, if it's the bottleneck, it's the bottleneck and then you're mm. there to fix it. So like come up with a solution, you know? Mm. Um, and so, there are just two things I want to pause on in, in that story. There are two things I wanted to highlight. First is the candor with which, um, you know, people just very openly admit like, Hey, we've got problems, you know, so true. we're trying to solve them. Can you help? Like that's, that's really the attitude that pervades throughout the whole company, which um, I don't think is the case everywhere else. You know, people are, um, you know, they always want to look good and stuff, but within Tesla, there's very much this um, candor, right? Is yeah, we're trying to solve these problems. Problems are hard. Can you help? And second is the the trust that um, that's so awesome. Like on your first day, you're just given um, this kind of huge scope. Um, what what do you think? Do you think that that um, uh, in in your org or how did you feel when you were getting? Um, <laughs> just basically getting all this responsibility loaded onto you. <laughs> I mean, dude, like initially I was, I was yeah. absolutely overwhelmed for sure. I mean, it was a very overwhelming experience because like, I'm not used mm. to, you know, like, first of all, I was already feeling insecure that I was a Tesla in the first place. Cause in the back of my head, I'm like, I, I don't think, I, I don't think I deserve this for some reason, yeah. you know, like, cause there's oh. all this stats about how Tesla is like the best company ever. And, you know, they, they have a very low acceptance rate in comparison to like, you know, Harvard and any other school. So like, like I already end up, that's a personal problem. Okay. That's like me personally having a little bit of confidence issues. It's, it's whatever. So it, I'm already mm. going into the company with that mentality. Mm. And then they're like, okay, now so you're starting your own YouTube channel. You're super exactly. Confident, oh, we're, yeah, yeah. we're past it's it, great. bro. Charlie, we're good now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. All right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we're good now. But, uh, but it was, it was definitely overwhelming at first, but I think ultimately the reason that that experience gave me confidence. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So like that, and that's why I can very confidently say now that I'm, I'm a confident person because mm. I had that overwhelming sense at the beginning, because there was that overwhelming trust on like things that were really, really important. And I mm. didn't necessarily have the answer for it, but they were trusting me to figure out the answer. Mm. Like that is, it seems so rare for a company now that's like a hundred thousand people plus like that to me mm. sounds like a, like a startup or like a 20 person thing or a five person thing, you know, where people are taking yeah. small pieces. Like, can you like, what do you think about that? Like, is there anything yeah. you can share about that? Yeah. 
Yeah, my first response is it feels like that's something that doesn't scale or like common sense tells us that trust does yeah. not scale. Like we can't trust, you know, our best friend. Uh, or sorry, we can't trust like a hundred people in the same way that we trust the five people that are closest to us. Um, but somehow at Tesla, like you just people. Uh, in, in my experience working, just meeting and working with different people from different teams, you sort of just assume that the trust is there and people live up, people honor the trust that um, that, that is placed in, uh, that, that you place in that. And from from uh, our, the other side, you know, you try to, uh, from my side, I always try to live up to the trust that others place in me. All right, I had a, I had an audio glitch on my end. I just wanted to make sure it was resolved. I can edit this out. Um, oh, cool. There's no problem. Yeah. Um, just uh, ask the question again for me, if you don't mind. Um, so, yeah, super curious about the tail end of that story. Um, so you had um, all this uh, responsibility, all these, uh, you, you're sh you were basically thrown into the fire on your first day. And then what yeah. happened? Yeah. yeah. And then I, uh, I came up with a solution that didn't quite work. <laughs> then I came up with a solution that didn't quite work. Yeah. But what that taught me is that, um, I mean, I came up with a lot of solutions that didn't quite work, to be completely honest. Mm. And mm. But what that taught me is that sort of Tesla is okay with you sort of failing, in a sense. Mm. Like, they're mm. cool with you going through, like, a, a discovery process. And that, you know, trying and giving it your best shot is really mm. the most important thing you can do for the company. And I've heard Elon talk mm. about this too. Like when he talks mm. about like, how do we incentivize good behavior? Like we want to give mm. points for trying and we want to mm. deduct points for not trying. So like trying mm. is the ultimate sort of thing, you know? Mm. It's the ultimate um, variable that really allows, I think Tesla in, the, in, the, in a bigger scope to really do, to really achieve what it does because mm. of that trying. Mm. You know, innovation mm. requires a lot of times. I don't know. I don't know how you think about this as an engineer, but like, I feel like innovation. A lot of it's freaking trial and error. Like, there's no, yeah. there's no real like solution that you can sit down and like map out with like numbers or code or something. Like, you literally have to like yeah. sometimes have to trial and error stuff. Um, yeah. And that's what it taught me over time. Can you talk about that trial and error process as an engineer, spe specifically at Tesla? Because like, I've always wondered that. I'm like, there's no way I'm the only person that just gets stuff done by trying stuff. Of course, I'm going to put numbers together that kind of guide me towards the right direction. But I'm not really going to mm. know until I sit down and I freaking try it, you know? Mm. Um, right. Yeah. Can yeah. you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, um, I can talk to that, talk, talk about that um, to, yeah, I can actually talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Let's see. Yeah, uh, you always have. So, so there, the number of things you can try is close to it, it's effectively infinite. So you just don't have the time or resources to try everything. Um, but you can use theory to guide uh, the things that you can try. And um, you can apply theory in your mind to really shorten um, or to, to really reduce the amount of things that make sense to try you can you know do a lot of stuff in your mind but ultimately uh, your mind is just your imagination and um reality is physics and so uh in the end you you have some idea of uh how some things can work and then um you try to build it in the real world um to see if your idea if you applied the theory correctly to see if it works very rarely will you get it right <laughs> on the first go very rarely and so, you know, there's some intuition that goes behind. Uh, I, I think the, there's, you know, I, I, I uh, yeah, I think there's some intuition that goes behind um, Elon's naming of like um, serial 
uh, all of the starships with serial numbers um, to, mm. na- to, to actually number the amount of times that they're they're trying to build something um, that's mm. super cool. Like uh, it's a spaceship that's going to go to space. Yeah. Interesting. So like you're literally talking about like like star like SN10 or SN12 or whatever it is. Like that naming convention itself is really yeah, like yeah. like connected directly to the fact that it's okay to just keep trying and failing. That it's okay to keep coming up with a better better thing over. Dude, that is interesting. I never thought about that. Like there's that there's that sort of like background implication behind that naming convention. That makes a lot of sense. That really does make a lot of sense. Um mm. I'm I'm curious like specifically around engineering and like sort of like your you know, from from your your background, you were very close to obviously the 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 the, the factory lines, and again, like mm. the Model Three ramp was was something that you were uh, very close to. But again, I want to be careful about mm. uh, sort of like only f- answer as as comfortable as you feel. Like I don't want to like mm. uh, obviously put you in a, in a weird situation. But mm. what would you say? What would you say was one of the toughest, if not the toughest, engineering challenge you had to face? at Tesla while trying to be careful about what you what you give. And if that's a too hard of a question to answer, I can definitely ask mm-hmm. something else. But I'm curious because, you know, I can talk about some of mine uh, definitely in, in a vague manner. And if you want me to go first, I'm happy to go first. But um, I'm curious to see like what what sort of thing you really had to overcome. Um, but I'll yeah. let you, you know, if you want to go first, go. But I can go first, too. doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, just first, actually connecting to the earlier uh, earlier point, um, I think it was like a couple of uh, months into uh, I had started already and I made a recommendation to the team to adopt a small library I'm talking about trying and failing. So um, I, yeah, I recommended we integrate this uh, uh, date picker thing into the front end UI. Um, it was an external library. I thought, Hey, this can save us some time. Um, but as it turns out, uh, the date picker just did not, the, the date picker library that I recommended didn't work out. Uh, we needed to change things, change it in ways that the API did not support. And ultimately, we had to tear it out. It's a huge waste of time. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, so, you know, but I tried. And uh, and um, it was after that um, small failure, uh, the team still trusted me with uh, kind of a big project. And I would say that, um, yeah, in my time at Tesla, my main contribution was um, solving uh not the hardest problem in production hell, but um, one of the probably the last problem in production hell. Yeah, uh, but so so that was my experience. Um, yeah, I I read your uh, LinkedIn um, before our call, and I saw that towards the end of your time at Tesla, you were actually promoted to a people manager, uh, managing a large um, team. Uh, I'm kind of curious to know more about your experience. Uh, you know, what was it like building a team at Tesla, and yeah, what was it like leading? as compared to uh, maybe previous leadership experiences that you've had? That's a great question, man. I appreciate that question. Thank you for your answer, by the way. But yeah, the mm. yeah for me, the, the, the unique... So I was in two different leadership roles almost concurrently, and I'll talk about both. So the first one... Mm. Uh, I'll, well, honestly, dude, like even from the beginning, I would say that I was probably leading... Uh, uh, a larger number of, of folks, but it was om- almost by by proxy because I you know I don't know if, if if you saw this a lot, but like the way Tesla functions, like the you can have a lot of influence if you're working on the right stuff and making a lot of impact, 
you know, like in the environment that we worked on, which was a warehouse environment, um, to this day, I think about the crew there. Like it was just a lot of material handlers, mostly that made up the, the building. But a lot of the things that I worked on, you know, I had to uh, work directly with this team and I was leading, I was leading projects and I was mentoring folks. And then over time, I sort of started getting my own team and whatever else. But really the biggest thing that really stands out to me from a leadership perspective is just how hungry the people are like, not like hungry, like I haven't eaten in like, you know, 12 hours, which I'm sure is also the case. <laughs> but like, I can tell you, know, you a fun story about crude at the back. Okay. I would love to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I'm pretty sure all yeah. of us were starving like for like half the time we were there. But anyway, um, but hungry, I really want to hear in what sense? Like hungry, hungry like really wanting to make a difference, like very passionate about really making an impact at Tesla, right? Or mm. or very passionate about problem solving or really passionate about making it better for for their coworkers. Like there were so many mm. things we would work on from a process perspective that were like transformational when it came to people's uh, ability to have a better work-life balance. So like, especially at the beginning of the, of the warehouse that we were at, uh, the first mm. like, say year or so which is normal for a brand new building to ramp up dude like you're putting in some insane hours to make sure that the thing is going and i'm a hundred percent sure you saw the same exact thing obviously during production hell but mm -hmm. like for us it was a lot of work had to be spent around just getting process ready so that people can go home <laughs> you know and then yeah. so and the then obviously can do its work yeah. Exactly. And then people were obviously very passionate about that. But even after that step was done and after we got to a point where we were able to fix those problems and put things in place, people were still like people saw how impactful and, and amazing that process is uh, from, mm. from my observations. And mm. it started getting addicted to like, OK, let's get better. Let's get better. Let's mm. get better. Let's do better stuff. Let's do bigger stuff. Right. Um, so and, so actually, yeah. so you, you were working in the service organization and you were um, working with warehousing. Is that yes. correct? That's yeah. right. So. To my understanding, um, uh, you know, that should actually be an extraordinarily difficult problem and for reasons that people might not realize, right? Because yeah. um, we know that Tesla actually is just completely different from all other automakers in the sense that, um, you know, Tesla is similar to all other automakers. They have to provide service agreements for 20 years or something on their vehicles. So you need to stock the Tesla parts in these um, in all of these locations, but different from other automakers, I don't think any automaker change makes changes to parts as nearly as often as Tesla. Yeah, and um, the like one ridiculous statistic that I heard was there are as many as uh, sixty part changes that take place in a single day, and so you know, like how do you in service warehousing keep up with? Um, <laughs> you know, I can yeah keep up with all of the parts. I can only imagine well, this, like this ridiculous schoolers yeah for a while there we didn't <laughs> for, a while, for a while there we didn't and that's why yeah and that's why you had you know those articles that would come out about people waiting god knows how long for their cars you know it's no secret that tesla had a little bit of a sort of people waiting but you know i don't think that's necessarily man that's that's just such a fascinating question i dude i respect you so much for saying that because people i think people have a very tough time understanding just how f excuse my french fucking hard supply chain is it is so freaking hard and even just on a distribution like even us working in distribution like you know you you can make the argument that we have you know if you think about like the factory and i'm curious to hear your thoughts about this if you think about the factory the factory 
like the amount of customers they have is sort of equivalent, like from the upstream perspective, is sort of equivalent to the doctors that they have that correlate to some part in the warehouse, right? So if you're somebody in the line, your your upstream customer, your upstream supplier is like, you know, doctors 31 through 35. I'm not really sure you know, if that's the case or not, but there's a limited number of customers or suppliers upstream. And then your customer downstream is technically just end of line, you know, and then mm -hmm. end of lines, end of uh, customer is staging. And then staging's customer is, you know, whatever different area trucks that they have to come pick up, right? Mm -hmm. Us but as wait, a district. I love how, how the, how you're framing, you know, fellow teams as customers. That's like a really yes. different thing. Not all teams, not all organizations think about things, but yeah. Sorry to interrupt. No, for sure. You're good, dude. And, and I appreciate that observation. We were like in our organization, we were super, super like uh, adamant about thinking about uh, those teams in that sense. They're our customers. They're not like uh, and just a group, random group of people that are getting our stuff. There are because we're touching like their experience. What we do to, to their to whatever their shipments are going to impact their ability to bring it in house, you know, or bring it into their door. So it's we have mm -hmm. to take utmost care as if they were are like a freaking customer. And, and they are technically. But from a distribution perspective, mm -hmm. you know, the point that you said, you know, you have, say Model S has, let's use Model 3 as an example. It has 8,000 parts. I don't know if that's right, but let's just assume it has 8,000 parts. And any per, mm -hmm. a number, a percentage of those parts, like you said, is going to be changing every freaking day. And, and these were called super sessions or still called super sessions. But essentially, they're uh, parts that you can exchange, you know, between one and another. Uh, so say you get, you know, revision A comes through mm -hmm. and then revision C comes through and then revision C is interchangeable with A, but A is not interchangeable with C. But you still need both on hand because you want all your A's to get swapped out with C's. But there's certain cars that can't get the A replaced, so on and so forth. You have this stuff going on and it's backwards as well. That can happen the other way as well but then you have 8,000 parts for the model 3 you have 8,000 parts for the model y 10,000 parts for the model s and so on so on and so forth and you have additional cars coming in so each one of these parts you know they don't always come from some supplier there's a number of suppliers that ship these this parts these parts to us and then we have to turn around and figure out how to send these parts out to hundreds if not thousands of customers you know, mm -hmm. and so like distribution, mm -hmm. when you have a um, an inventory that is constantly changing <laughs> because of innovation, becomes a monster, becomes a gigantic monster of a thing to figure out. But where mm -hmm. Tesla is so unique in this perspective is that Tesla, you know, Tesla is no secret that they that they do a lot of things in house, right? And it's no mm -hmm. secret that they have dis distribution centers that are owned by Tesla, like the one in Bethlehem, like there's Pennsylvania, which they have open Rex for constantly. So this is public information; people can can search this, right? Um, mm -hmm. I think that's their unique advantage in that is that even though it's an extremely difficult problem and it's something that's hard, Tesla has made the decision to bring that in house because they feel like they can do this better than anybody else could, like a third party, right? But it's it's a very difficult problem. It is a very difficult mm. problem. And it's and it's the customer, it's the actual customer that feels this because as a as if you're in the factory and you and this is just me getting on my soapbox now and I'm not hating on factory workers at all. I'm just this is me on my soapbox because you've <laughs> given me the ability to get yeah. on the soapbox, so I'm gonna do it. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, let's, you know, let's hear it. Yeah. The way I think about this is like if you're a factory worker, if you're a part of the factory team, 
you know, obviously, like your your work is incredibly important to ensure that the profitability of the company is as good as humanly possible. And without the factory, we do not exist. I get that 100%. Like if the factory doesn't exist, and you're not making the cars, I get it. Like we don't make any money. But guess what? Guess what happens after you guys sell the cars? <laughs> now there's a bunch, like there's millions of cars going to be on the road that are going to be part of our responsibility now to ensure that the customer has a great experience. And mm. having to manage um, the, the you know, people are a lot more excited to get their brand new car than people are to service their car. So like, whereas on the uh, when you sell a car, you have take delivery or whatever, 99 point whatever percent of those people are probably going to be happy, maybe 98%. But like people going to take their car for service, nobody's happy to take their car for service. You know, it's like, oh my God, I got to get this thing fixed. Even though Teslas have a much lower rate of um, servicing than any other car, um, you're going to deal with more and more uh, situations where a customer is not going to be happy. So you have to be super, super sensitive to that customer's experience. And you have to be very, very good at ensuring that you're not introducing any variables that are going to mess up the relationship between yourself and the customer, right? So from that perspective, mm -hmm. it's 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 also very difficult because you're maintaining a long-term relationship. But I, I am mm -hmm. happy that Tesla has decided to at least for now, and I don't know what their plans are long term, that they have decided to bring this in house and manage it because it's so freaking important. And if there's a company that can innovate on that on that relationship, I do believe it's Tesla. You know, mm. I don't know if they're there yet, but I do believe mm. it's Tesla. So anyway, that's I'm going to mm. shut up for the next 20 minutes and let you do the talking because I just because <laughs> just I just spoke for it. But, yeah, for yeah. sure, please. Yeah. Well, so you know, um, another thing that I'm just high level aware of uh is hmm, is yeah like basically I, I think elon shared some perspectives where he's saying um yeah we don't want service actually to be a profit center um, which is the case for a lot of traditional auto uh, auto manufacturers yes. um, they don't make so much money on um selling the car but they like maintenance costs is just atrocious and uh well that's that's where they can make a lot of uh, money was that the um you know, the question is, uh, I guess, what were some things that you, in leading your team, um, and also just in your time overall as uh, as uh, working working in the service org, what were some things that you uh, accomplished in order to drive down costs? Was that sort of a focus, or what were yeah. some of the other priorities that you were? Um, how did you measure success in the service org? That's a great. That's such a good question. It was uh, happy customers. You know, we, 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 happy we customers. yeah, happy customers all day. Like, so, so fulfillment mm. rate, like ensuring that we're everything that we're supposed to ship gets shipped. Right. Mm. Uh, mm. and then downstream from a service perspective, uh, you know, if you were talking about a service center or whatever, it's, you know, mm. uh, how quickly the car gets turned, you know, like you don't mm. want a car sitting at a lot or at a service center for, for too long. You know, if, if a repair is supposed to take mm. one day and then, you know, if, if ordering, if, Ideally, what you want is you want the part to always be at the service center or, or the body shop, right? So yes. you try to ensure that the part's always available there. In the event but that you have it's so not, many parts. Yeah. right? You can only fit so many freaking parts in the service center. I don't know if anybody has seen the service center. It's a it's a structure, but it ain't a freaking warehouse, man. <laughs> yeah, it's not <laughs> you infinite. Know? Yeah, it's not. Very and so there's out. a lot of work that goes in from, you know, different teams like on the supply chain team and, and a bunch of different teams, you know, channel planning and whatnot, is that they're really trying to figure out what are the parts that I should have at a specific location, you know? Um, and then, you know, so, so doing all that work 
ideally ensures that the maximum number of customers are happy downstream, you know, and we had a lot of visibility into what those data points were. Um, but yeah, just how fast can you get the part there? Can you ensure that the parts there if it needs to be there? And then once the parts get there and the car is there to be serviced, how quickly can we get that car out the door? You know, mm. um, and of course, yeah. like over time, it's sort of like and this is no secret. People can go on ir.tesla.com and pull up the 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 earnings reports for Tesla. They can see service services and other doesn't is not profitable. If anything, it's 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 losing money, and people can very easily see this on a mm. quarterly basis. Um, mm. So of course that you know that kind of becomes a focus. It's like okay, so how can we get it to break even? <laughs> you know, how can we get feel, it to a I point? I covered. I was like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, how can we get it to yeah. break even? You know, like less, lower expedite costs. You know, like you, you don't have to ship stuff overnight all the time. You can get it there uh, a little bit slower or ideally you want to get it there. So before the car even shows up for a repair ground, you don't have to ship it overnight. So that's a lot of channel planning, obviously. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different variables that you can do to, to make that stuff uh, better. But ultimately, it was how happy the customer is. And you trust that the employees are going to do the best uh, job possible to do it at the most cost effective manner. And apparently they have because freaking Tesla is incredibly profitable now. So, you know, that's that's sort of worked out, you know. Awesome. Yeah. Um, happy customers. Was that a directive that um, you received from above? Or is that something that was just baked into the culture that you found yourself in? Or was that something that you um, wanted to lead your team towards? It was baked in. I mean, it was baked in. We were reminded by, yeah, for sure. It was baked in and we were, I mean, we were reminded by the, by the, you know, by our leaders often, you know, that, hey, like, mm -hmm. let's make sure that the customer is always taken care of, that the customer is always taken care of. And, uh, mm -hmm. but even when they, they didn't have to say that, you know, they didn't have mm. to say that we already knew it. And I'm like, curious too, mm. like from a from a production perspective, like how would you how would you describe the the culture there as far as like, you know, sort of the stuff that you were working on, like how much of that, how much of that was baked in, like sort of like that go getter attitude and like, or, or did you have to be constantly be reminded by leadership to for that, that those teams that you worked on to get in that mindset? Mm. I would say that um, a lot of our leaders led by example. And the overall feeling that I, I can't speak for the whole because, sure. um, you know, I, I actually was in an individual contributor role, an IC role. So I was not managing a team. I was just an engineer. Sure. Um, but from my perspective, uh, my experience was that of jovial exhaustion. I was really tired every day, mm. and, but I was happy about it. And um, I felt like I had, um, yeah, just really pulled my weight. I had really um worked really hard and uh you know in terms of the culture and, and the environment um i think we were all just uh, glad to be there glad to be part of this amazing journey sometimes we were a little bit more tired than we would like to be yeah but yeah i think that's just part of the job yeah for sure yeah i mean when you're trying to innovate yeah. what what's the biggest thing that really jumps out to you during that production hell time frame like I know, I know you and I before we we even talked about this podcast, we sort of talked about like mm. <laughs> going home and people like telling you like, hey, you should probably leave the company because it's you know going bankrupt or whatever. But like, yeah. like I'm curious. Like outside of that, did anything else jump out to you? That and obviously we'll talk about that too. But um, you know, what what was really the thing that really jumped out to you during that time frame uh, while you were at Fremont during production hell? Just you know, actually something really similar to uh, something you mentioned earlier, just how um, open. And candid people are about the problems that they're having 
And so uh, one awesome experience I had um, right around the time that I uh, started at Production Health, supercharged with energy, I was like, hey, here to here to help. And, uh, you know, let's see if I can do my job and then do something um, above and beyond um, for it. And uh, it just so happened that I got a, a personal tour of the Model 3 assembly lines um, from one of the lead process engineers. Um, he and I both took part. And uh, yeah, like um, we, we were both, I, I was in temporary housing in um, Oakland as part of my relocation package. And so it was like an hour long BART ride. And then eventually, uh, yeah, we, um, he gave me like a, uh, yeah, a personal tour of the Model 3 line. I won't really say what is the Model 3 line, sure. um, but it was just such a cool experience because, um, you know, he was, for, for me as an engineer, I was thinking, hmm, is there anything above and beyond that I can do? Like, can I, you know, um, find some time over the weekend or find some time um, after work, work after work, or even find some time sitting on the BART? Can I find any time at all that I can give to um, this team and help them solve one of the problems um, based on my existing skills and capabilities. Can I help? And um, he was just super candid in uh, explaining um, stuff. He, he literally walked me step by step through the entire line. And, uh, you know, like while while cars were being built, um, it was a really cool time. And, uh, you know, he pointed out all of the problems. And my experience with all of, all of the problems that he was pointing out was, you know, oh, wow, that seems like a really simple problem to solve. We can fix this. And then, so he, he would say, well, we have a problem here. And I would say, well, how about we try naive solution X? And he was like, yeah, we tried naive solution X, <laughs> solution Y, solution Z. And none of them worked <laughs> for reasons that you wouldn't have thought of A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without giving any specifics, right? Mm -hmm. um, but so it's like, oh, wow. So all of these solutions have been tried and they didn't work because of reasons we did not foresee. What now? And then you're left with a really hard problem. And it's like, oh, I get it. I get it. Now I understand. So from the outside looking in at a lot of things, um, I, I would say that there was a takeaway for me from, from the outside looking in. It's like, guys, you're just, you're just building cars. How hard is it? Um, it, can get, it can get pretty hard. <laughs> yeah. It can get pretty hard. So, um, yeah, a lot of respect for, um, yeah, also it just gave me a, a lot of respect for um, manufacturing and the production process. And um, I definitely did not realize how uh, intricate and how complicated um, that that entire line of work is. For yeah, for sure. That's yeah. Thank you for sharing that. And that dude, you came back to that candid line, dude. Like it, it's really is so true. Like if if there was one way that I could define how best to describe the workforce of Tesla is candid. Like like mm. do not join Tesla if you have an ego. Do not do it. Mm. Do not mm. do it. You know. I really feel, or or leave it at the door <laughs> when you get there, because people are not shy about sharing their feedback. Because again, mm. for that shared mission, like I'm, I'm curious. Like I would mm. love to get your take on this. So think about like the success of like how good Tesla is at what they do, um, and and sort of like like their products. Like think about their products. Mm. Think about their services. Think about their image. Think about their leadership mm. styles. Think about the culture. Right. How much of that do you think is like the candid nature of that workforce? Like how much of a, like if you were to guess, like, is it 50% responsible for the things that are, is that the reason why the things that Tesla makes and has 
is because they have a candid workforce or do you think it's it's based on something else? Because in my head, like if I really think about how does the Model S or the Model 3 become or the Model Y become the cars that they are now, it's because people didn't have egos. They just sat down and problem solved to the core. Mm. Like that first principles thinking is not ego friendly. But am I thinking about mm. this uh, incorrectly? I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Mm. I, I would generally agree, yeah. Um, when ego is uh, when ego is driving, uh, when ego is steering the ship, um, sometimes you get what the person with the biggest ego wants instead of getting the best or the right solution. And so the, the right solution might be lost somewhere in the corner. Um, but when we set aside our egos and put the mission first, then you tend to get the best results or the best results have the room to come to the surface. The best solution has the room to come to the surface. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Were there any specific um, examples where, yeah, um, like where ego got like like where we're trying to solve something and ego got in the way? Is that the, the... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes? Yeah, there are. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, you want to share? You don't have to. <laughs> dude. Well, here's the deal. Like. Uh, like, okay, this person's not the company anymore, and I know that for a fact. Um, so, but I don't know. I, I shouldn't, man. Oh, okay, let, let me let me, let me me try to be broad. Let me try to be broad. Oh, boy. Elon's lawyers, please don't come after me after this. Um, no, no, no. I'm, I'm going to be very careful. So, there was a decision that was made around the strategy of a certain piece that we were responsible for. And the uh, strategy was very obviously not correct, yet they essentially forced, and they could be an individual or a group in this case, okay? So I'm trying to be broad here. They mm. did not, um, they essentially ignored it and ignored the data and ignored the advice from people that actually knew the thing and they forced it and then it ended up being a, way less optimal solution than what we uh, advised. And then when we did our thing, it was way better. And we didn't say, I told mm -hmm. you so, because we're bigger, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so that was uh, that was one example. Um, mm. And uh, total respect to the people that mm. were working to make that thing happen. I understand mm. that there's different factors that go on and different variables that happen at a company that make it difficult to uh, steer the ship a different way. But mm. I do think that, um, but but here's the deal. Like the beautiful thing behind Tesla is that even, and again, this is not a slight on the people's, uh, uh, you know, like their character at all. This is not at all what I'm talking about. This, what I, all I'm talking about here is that mm. sometimes when you really want to put something through really, really badly, mm. Sometimes you're going to ignore the data or sometimes you're just mm. going to pick and choose what mm. data you want to look at so that it reinforces what you're trying to say, but you're not really looking mm. at the full picture. And we were trying mm. our best to look at the full picture and the full picture was telling a very different story. Okay. So mm. maybe sometimes like it's hard to ignore the full picture and you're kind of like, well, here's the data set. It's like, you know, you see it on media all the time. Like media sites will ch pick, cherry pick data sets that aren't really talking about what's actually going on. And then the actual thing that's going on is completely different. But anyway, you know, mm -hmm. um, what happened eventually is that Tesla figured out 
Tesla, when I say Tesla, I mean people that work at Tesla, uh, they know what the uh, correct way of going is. And a sort of uh, that was happening towards my uh, end of my career there. And uh, mm. so it, it will eventually be resolved, you know, whatever that mm. is. And again, this is not a huge deal. It's not this is not some mm. sort of like freaking Tesla could be doing 13x what it what it's doing mm. now. No, it's like mm. as is small peanuts compared to anything. OK, mm. uh, it's not like freaking mm. we were over overseeing some mm. like gigantic. But it is thing, a good okay? example of how ego holds back the company. Um, yes. Sometimes. But it is also a good story showing um, uh, basically of Tesla's. Uh, innovative nature, trying and trying again. Yes. When the ego tries something and it's not that great, well, you know, they can try to tell the story in a certain way, but um, ultimately the results speak the loudest. Um, I feel that's true at Tesla. And so it sounds like your team tried again after their first try and yes. did something better. And uh, finally, the, the, the result is good. Yeah, for sure. And, and that's that's 100% true it's that you know e even in, in a situation where ego kind of drove the decision it eventually got corrected whereas i would say i would argue that at, at a different company and i was actually speaking to somebody earlier today charlie that's from germany and he's got like mm. close ties to sort of like the german automakers and he oh. it sounds like a lot of the things that they're doing there are freaking ego in politics man like a lot of the decisions that, that you know and i don't want to speak out of line but like bmw mercedes vw like a lot of those companies are and a lot of companies that you can probably think of that you worked at previously you pro can probably say like hey i'll say it for myself you know it there's sometimes a non-optimal solution that's happening way more often than it should and then a lot of that is driven by politics and ego you know so like why mm. why do you think why do you think that's so rare like i feel like that's so mm. rare where an organization is able to just just operate on fact and operate on data and operate on innovation and operate on like, hey, let's forget about our feelings. Let's just figure out the best solution possible here. Like, why do you think that's so mm. rare? Because we're human. Hmm. So the bots are going to save us. <laughs> One day we will have AI overlords and yeah. the world will be a more optimal place. I don't know if I want to live in that world. Um, I don't know if I'm like mentally prepared to live in that world just because mm -hmm. I grew up without um, all of that stuff. But you know, when when I have kids, they'll they'll deal with it. They'll figure yeah, it out. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure. Yeah. Does that does that actually scare you? Because it, it does scare me a little bit. It really does. I'm like like slightly concerned about that potential outcome. I'm a little bit terrified of the metaverse. Um, mm. uh, I I have a friend who's an artist um, and. Uh, uh, yeah, we met at Burning Man. He set up one of the big art installations. He has a really fresh take on the world. And um, I was really stunned when he shared this with me. He was saying, um, oh, yeah, uh, this, this, this is not NDA territory. I, I feel like it's a little bit controversial, but he was, but, you know, the idea is, um, look, uh, the world can control our physical government uh, or our physical bodies by throwing us in jail. But even when they throw us in jail, they cannot touch our mind. Well, the metaverse mm. can touch our mind. It can become a type of mental prison if, um, yeah, if they uh, decide to take it in that direction. Because even in jail, they can't get inside your head. Um, but uh, when they, if they give you like a VR headset in jail, your mind comes out into that virtual world, and they can do stuff to you there. So it's it's it, you know he has um, yeah like. Uh, when you share that perspective, I was like, wow, this guy's got a point. Uh, wow. Uh, it seems pretty dangerous. It seems, uh, um, 
I mean, it's it's kind of cool. Like you can have avatars and stuff, but like the downside risks are definitely there as well. Wow. Did yeah. you, have you ever seen Black Mirror? I saw some episodes. Super okay. fascinating. I didn't watch all of them, but yeah. Um, one of, one of the episodes that they have on that show sort of talks about exactly what you just you just freaking blew my mind by the way but the mm -hmm. it, they talk about that concept or they show that concept where it's like it's similar like it's, it's a person if I remember the you know sorry for anybody who's uh doesn't want spoilers but I give a little spoiler bit of alert a, yeah spoiler alert yeah. but essentially it's a person that is um that has to, that, you know, they live in this digital world, essentially, and they have, you know, they, they live in this uh, area where they have to essentially get on a bike and power the building or the machines or whatever uh, to generate mm -hmm. some credits to use for um, entertainment, food, whatever, right? And they're mm -hmm. confined to the space. They can't leave, right? So mm -hmm. even, and so, say they go to their room, Okay, they go to their room and they go relax. The entire, all the walls and the ceiling are all, it's all a screen. It's a giant screen, right? So it's, you don't even need a VR headset. You're just, uh, you know, you have every, everywhere you look in your room, it's just a stimulation. It's some sort of like visual or, and there's a sound in your room or whatever. And then mm -hmm. um, every like few minutes or few hours, something will come up that says, um, you know, and an ad is about to start. Would you like to uh, skip the ad by paying 10 credits? Or whatever and oh, these credits and these credits you generate by getting on a bike like that's the only way to generate these credits is to be physically active okay and then the the way the episode ends essentially is that the the guy runs out of credits and now he's essentially trapped in a room where he's just being blasted by super crazy ads non-stop and he can't leave until he generates credits but there's no way for him to generate credits because he can't leave the room because he doesn't have credits to leave the room how fucking crazy is that He's doomed. There's no escape. He's doomed. Yeah. Right? But oh like, my gosh. But like why, if you're really thinking about like leaning hard into that metaverse world, like why wouldn't that be a possible outcome, what you described? Like, because that's a mm -hmm. way of accessing your mind, I would say, right? Like you literally mm -hmm. have, the, you have no physical way to escape the mental barrage that you're getting in that mm -hmm. freaking room and the VR headset would be very similar, right? So like, yeah. that, that's yeah. actually, the, the wild thing is that's happening to a small extent today. Um, uh, sometimes I sit in, uh, uh, these taxis and, um, in, in, so in the backseat, they have the ad that's playing and I find it so hard to not look at the ad. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I'll, like I'm trying to look outside, but the ad is playing and I end up just looking at the ads and, um, it's just, yeah, like I'm stuck in the car while I'm going from place A to place B. It's a very unpleasant experience. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. What a crazy world wow. we live in, man. <laughs> yeah. My goodness, it's so scary. It really yeah. is. Like some of the directions that we're heading. Um, I know. I know. We want to keep this to sixty minutes. Yeah. We're, we're uh, approaching time here. So, do you want to uh, give people an update on what you're working on today, and just kind of give exposure to people on what what your current project is? Yeah. Uh, so I'm working on returns. Uh, returns is um, a. Uh, Returns is basically what I was doing in my notebook when I was a Tesla engineer. Um, I'm, I have no finance experience, um, uh, but um, yeah, like I was working at Tesla and there was all this media FUD. And uh, there were times where I thought about quitting the company. I really, um, yeah, it was uh, really, really sort of hard to figure out um, if I was on a sinking ship or if I was on a rocket ship that was gonna take off. And so 
um, yeah, I drew these graphs of uh, future price targets and what it would mean for uh, my personal finances. And I just try to tune out the noise. I watch some YouTubers. And so, um, yeah, super glad to, you know, thanks for, thanks for having me on here. Um, and, uh, you know, they were telling the narrative from their perspective, um, which was unbiased, reasonable, and so forth. And so I kept my price targets. I just kept on looking at this picture. I held through and, um, yeah, I achieved financial independence. Um, returns is that process that worked for me in a digital form. And I would like to share it with the rest of the world. That's so awesome, man. That that's a, that's yeah. a beautiful that's a beautiful mission. And and talking about that thought too, man. Like I I I, I remember like being that during there during that period too. It's like it was freaking crazy. And I've talked about it in my channel before. But like, it's it's you know when we initially talked uh, last week, you talked about that too. Like that FUD time frame was like insane, and it really was insane. Like I literally had family members and friends telling me when I got home, you should sell your stock and leave the company because it's gonna fail. <laughs> Like, okay, yeah. cool. So I just got home yeah. from working 12 hours and I'm freaking exhausted. You're telling yeah. me this is for nothing? <laughs> and they think they're doing you a favor. Yeah. <laughs> they think they're helping you. Yeah. I know, dude. My God. Like how, and I know we only got like a couple more minutes left, but like, can you like walk me through that mental, like how did that feel mentally? How did that feel physically? Because for me it was a, oh my God, it was so hard. But like, how did it feel? Um, it was excruciating, um, but you know, I can share one nice story. So in uh, the Fremont factory, there's not a lot of parking space. So we have to park offsite, take a shuttle. And um, yeah, in the mornings, I would run into one of my coworkers. Um, he was also my age and uh, he was also a software engineer. And we would just uh, tell each other jokes in the morning. We would just talk about what we saw on YouTube the day before. Like, um, uh, yeah, some YouTuber making fun of some uh, mainstream media stock analyst and just telling some jokes. And yeah, we would, that, that would be our ritual in the morning. And then we'd be like, yeah, the news is so crazy. You know, this news outlet, that news outlet said this bad thing. But then we, you know, say whatever joke it was. Um, yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That was just, that was just kind of, um, yeah, that was, that was just a really great way to start the day. And, uh, yeah. Um, that's great, man. Yeah. I, I filter out like, the noise. Honestly, like for everybody, like all the YouTube content creators, and I've said this before, but like I'll, I'll keep reiterating this, like thank you so freaking much for doing what you yes. guys did. Rob Mauer, thank you so much. Dave Lee, yeah. Stephen Mark Ryan, the freaking list goes on and on and on and on. Thank you guys, honestly. Like you have no idea how instrumental you guys are in like the te Tesla success arc. And from two people that have worked there, your work mattered so thank you very much to be completely honest thank you very much seriously it was, it was super instrumental but all right we're at an hour charlie uh, right about thank you so much yeah. for being super generous with your time man um it's yeah. nine o'clock here at p.m let's see if i can do the math uh in beijing it's oh my god uh 12 12 a.m 12 p.m am i right 10 a.m damn it <laughs> forget it pretty close i'm not even gonna pretty try close. i'm a math major i can't even freaking do math but anyway um any last words you wanna you wanna leave us with before we uh shut the sucker down um yeah uh please check out returns.co if you're a tesla fan and add your price add your voice to uh the price target map that we're building yeah awesome all but, right man uh, yeah. thank Ho you so much a chance to chat again Yes, absolutely. You're welcome back anytime, Charlie. I, I feel like, dude, we could have talked for like hours, honestly, but it, yeah. I, I want to be respectful of your time and everyone else's time as well. But thank you very much again. 
we'll see you soon, man. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, have a great rest of your day and uh, we'll see you around. Thanks again, brother. Really cool. appreciate you. Bye. All right. Take it easy, man.